Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. The college podcast is sponsored by Project Lomo. Logan Morrison of the Miami Marlins lost his dad to cancer in 2010 and has worked tirelessly for a cause he cares about, fighting lung cancer. Now he's asking young fans to find a cause they care about and do something about it. You can learn about it at projectlomo.mlblogs.com, where you can get on the project's email update list. It's a great initiative, and the fans, the young fans who do the most amazing projects will have a chance to go to a Marlins game, meet Logan Morrison and some of his teammates, throw out the first pitch, and win $1,000. That's projectlomo.mlblogs.com. I want to thank those guys again for the sponsorship of the podcast. Aaron, the light is at the end of the tunnel for the regular season mm. in college baseball. Time is winding yeah. down. Uh, this is the last weekend of the regular season for most Division One teams. We'll get into conference play, the postseason. And finally, at the end of the regular season, Aaron, we have a new number one team. And the Greek word is axios, worthy. Vanderbilt, a worthy number one. Yep. North Carolina was a worthy number one for 12 weeks. But now axios, the Vanderbilt Commodores, number one team in the country. 17 consecutive series victories, yeah. 10 of them via sweep. Yet another sweep this weekend on the road at Kentucky. We've talked about the Commodores a lot all year, but this is a machine, Aaron. What? What could possibly trip them up um, going forward? Well, you know, Allen Oaks. I mean, that's what it is. That you know, it, it's. <laughs> and I don't. I don't you say that to be flipping. There. Wow. I don't say right. that to be. I don't say that to be flipping. But but I say that because I I had such regard for that 2007 Vanderbilt team that was a juggernaut. You know, comparable to this. I mean, they weren't actually. They weren't even as good as this one. I mean, this team. <laughs> like you said, they haven't lost a series, and to do this to 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 be 20. What twenty four and two in the SEC now? I mean, it's absurd. It's, it's absurd. absurd, and and I think we both have t- have believed at the start of the year this was a top heavy Southeastern yes. conference. I think yes. I do think there's some evidence at the bottom of the SEC is a little bit better than we thought with a team like Auburn that's kind of gotten scraptastic here late in the season and playing better, forcing its way into the regional discussion. I think we both think Alabama, which is more of a bottom of the SEC team, is a, a talented team. Uh, has some potential to, to they're they're scrappy and they're they, they're dangerous, and then we've got a team like Florida, which is talented but very young, it's been kind of erratic, falling back a little bit this weekend, losing Auburn. So the you know, the bottom slash middle of the league is pretty good, but I don't think we saw any team just running away from the field, and, and like Vanderbilt oh. has done to an extent that we just never seen in the SEC. You don't see it in the SEC, and, and it's it is incredible. And you know, you mentioned that they're worthy number one now, and heck, they would have been a worthy number one in the preseason and, or at any point during the season. I mean, we, you know, 
we re I want to reiterate how 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 hotly we debated UNC versus Vandy for preseason number one. And if if Vandy had been preseason number one, then they would have been number one all season long because they hadn't lost the series. That's right. Um, so you know, I mean, it, it was just a matter of which team we settled on. And you know, I mean, and, and hey, give UNC credit. I mean, they you know we talked earlier this year about the the scoring margin, how dominant they were in, in right. going 44 and four, you know, to start the year. I mean, there, there's no slouch, no, no slouch, but um, at this point, yes, Vanderbilt is very, very deserving and incredible what they've done. It's just amazing. Yeah. And, and the reason, again, the reason I brought up Alan Oaks things just because that's the only thing that can trip them up is a bad weekend or a bad break. I mean, and that happens in baseball. The best team doesn't always win. We know that it's the hottest team that wins. Uh, but, but, you know, that's what it's going to take because this team is complete. I mean, there, there's, you know, <laughs> there's no, there's no chink in the armor now that, now, now that the, you know, the starters are, you know, they've tapped into their potential. I mean, Beatty had more walks this weekend, but in general, he got the walks in, in uh, under control and, right. you know, I guess TJ Pecoraro is still kind of trying to work his way back all the way to, to where he used to be, but their bullpen is so good that they can cover it. Even if he, you know, he does struggle on Sundays. So, um, you know, they're just, they're outstanding to me. That's the difference in the two teams. And from, from the start of the year to now, both teams have had some injury issues. It sounds like North Carolina's, you know, they originally hoped to get sky bolt back by the Georgia tech series. They did not, but he was, his, his absence was not the problem. Uh, I don't yeah. even think I don't think the problem was that uh, Matt Roberts, who's not a great hitter, but is their number one catcher. He didn't play all weekend. He's got some concussion issues, so he didn't even make the trip. So they they wound up starting Brian Holberton at catcher on Sunday. But the bottom wow. line is, yeah, yeah, third start of the year I think at catcher. Um, but the bottom line is they uh, they had a yeah, the bullpen hasn't been what we thought it was, Aaron, and I, I that's the difference. Vanderbilt's yeah. bullpen, I and mean, we're talking about a hair of difference because they're both 45 and 6. And as we've talked about all year, the top seven teams in our rankings, and you can maybe even extend it down to like the top eight, nine, ten. Those, those teams have been pretty consistent all year, going down to like 12, Louisville. Most of those teams, Louisville had a hiccup early. Oregon generally has been pretty good. And Arkansas, since the early hiccups, has been pretty consistent. But really the top nine, outside of Florida State, maybe losing one or two series. Those teams have all been really consistently good. But what put Vanderbilt and Carolina on a different level, I think we thought, was how complete they were. And they've evidenced that all year. And, and now, the, to me, the little question with North Carolina is the bullpen. Because we thought yeah. that would be a real strength coming into the year. It's not a weakness, but Trent Thornton is starting to – they had a little freshman moment this weekend. And Chris McHugh mm-hmm. and Trent Thornton are their two guys they trust in the bullpen. And, you know, they, they didn't get it done on Sunday against Georgia Tech. And then Mason McCullough was supposed to be the dude. And he comes in Sunday, he faces two batters, he walks them both, and they lose. So, you know, uh, I think more credit when... goes to Georgia Tech for the fight they showed – after their, yeah. their late season collapse, but it just, it just, I, I think that's the biggest difference. Is Vanderbilt's bullpen is just weapon after weapon after weapon, and I, I don't think you can say the same thing about Carolina. And and that's the thing is, you know, Mason McCullough's got a huge arm, but when they put Mason McCullough in a game, the extra innings, it's kind of like, well, okay, you know, it, it's it's almost an admission that hey, if we lose this game, it's not that big of a deal, yeah. um, because I mean, it, you know, and it's the guys, he's erratic with the strike zone and maybe you know he'll look great um but he's not he's not a trusted guy he got nine innings this year you know i mean um you know and he's the biggest arm on their staff yep. so um you know they've leaned very heavily on trent thornton and as a freshman you do you know you, that is a concern for me i always talk about how much i worry about freshmen wearing down on the mound uh, especially you know late in the season so that is something that is something to monitor I think Vanderbilt just, just been so consistent, and their defense, Aaron, is. Uh, you know, I had a scout kind of banging on Tony Kemp's defense, and I understand it. 
you know, from a scouting point of view. But then you look at Tony Kemp, he's made seven errors all year. I mean, their fielding percentage is, you know, ridiculous. It's almost 980. I mean, this this team, they just don't have uh, yeah. an uh, uh, obvious flaw. So and, you know, kudos to, to Tim Corbin and his staff. Yeah, and, and Vince Condi, you know, the guy that I think is a little bit of an unsung hero for Vanderbilt. I mean, um, you know, a guy that coming into the year, they thought maybe he'd be the third baseman. He winds up at shortstop after some injuries. Guy's fielding 957 at shortstop. He's yep. been, done a great job there. He's been one of the, you know, he gives them probably the best shortstop they've had in, in several years now. Um, and, and he's hitting 328. He's third on the team in hitting. He's given more offense than they expected. Six home runs. I mean, he's having a really nice year uh, and, and not one of the first names you think about with all those big names on that team. He's not. No, you're right. I think he's an important guy to mention. And uh, hard to have a better uh, one-two punch than Beatty and Zomek right now. But uh, Vanderbilt, yeah. uh, worthy number one. LSU, a worthy number two, Aaron. They go on the road and, and, and beat uh, Texas A&M. We dropped the Tar Heels to three. Um, the rest of our rankings, a lot of chalk in a lot of the rankings. Um, and, and there were some big rivalry series weekends this uh, this weekend that affected the rankings, but they were more toward the bottom of the rankings. The one kind of series that's out there still to determine, and hopefully uh, weather holds up here and I'll be going to the uh, final game tonight, NC State, Florida State. And, uh, Aaron, that's a pretty huge game. It still feels like the winner of that series, you've been writing for weeks, the winner of that series seems to have the inside track to being a top eight national seed. Do you still feel that way? And is this one of the bigger Monday night games that we can think of this year? Yeah, I do feel that way, and, and certainly it's the biggest Monday night game of the year. I mean, you got two top 10 teams fighting for a national seed, you know, fighting for first place in their division. The, the team that wins that game uh, will be in first place in the, uh, what, the Atlantic division. So, yeah, it's it's going to be, I, I can't wait. I If we get if we get screwed in the weather again, John, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum because <laughs> I was, you know, I was so looking forward to that North Carolina uh, NC State game on Sunday night TV, you yeah. know, a few weeks ago, and, and, and I got robbed, you know, and, and if, if if you you people need to need to control your weather back east, because I'm tired of this. <laughs> I will do what I can, Aaron. Uh, WRAL.com, my trusted weather source, uh, says uh, there's no chance. It could be an isolated sprinkle or two, is what it says. Okay, right, but it's okay. gonna be cold tonight. It's gonna be chilly, so we'll get the Bulldogs. Scott sits on the mound for uh, Florida State, and we get uh, Brad Stone, the freshman left-hander for NC State. I think a lot of us are looking forward to that. Um, I don't know if they're going to break out any pink bats or anything like that for a uh, day after Mother's Day, but uh, belated happy Mother's Day to all our listeners out there. Um, Aaron, I also, uh, we also have a Twitter question. We haven't taken a lot of questions this year. Uh, I had one from Joe LaCage via email just about Trey Turner a couple weeks back, basically asking uh, our opinion of Trey Turner and just how you know best shortstop since uh, Troy Tulowitzki at the college level. And we've talked about that. That was, a, that was the gist of the question that – that to Joe had asked a couple weeks ago, but I got to watch a little bit of this weekend on TV of Alex Bregman. I know you've seen Bregman in person. You got a great look at Bregman. I'll rephrase the question. So these are our number two and number five teams. You had to pick a shortstop, uh, not for this year, but for a pro career down the line. Who do you oh like, boy. Turner, Turner or Bregman? I know there's a possibility that neither one is a shortstop at the pro level, but which one would you take, Turner or Bregman? Boy, that's tough. It I is mean, tough. that's really, really hard. I, I think Turner. Um, his, you know, he, he's so dynamic with the speed. That's such a weapon for him. And obviously he's got bad speed to go with it. Um, that, you know, he's, he's got a great fallback option in center field. Um, I think he could be a really good center fielder at the next level and, and gun to my head. I think that's probably where he ends up. Right. Um, 
But, you know, I haven't seen him play shortstop this year, really. I mean, except on TV a couple times. But um, so I don't have as good a feel for how he's looked there, John, as probably you do. Um, it's not I, it's a surprise. I would say that at this point, he is not as consistent on the routine play, not as reliable on the routine play as uh, Bregman is. Because I think that Turner has a little bit more range mm. and a little more belief that he can make this spectacular play. And it's a little bit less. I would just give him a little hair less of a playmaking ability than Bregman has. That said, yeah. I was a little bit surprised just watching the LSU series. Yeah, I've seen some chatter online that maybe Bregman's getting a little tired, a little worn down. He is a freshman. And I think there is some evidence of that, that, that um, he's not, he's certainly not locked in at the plate at this point in the, in the season as he was earlier mm-hmm. in the year. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. He's, he's, he's cooled off a little bit and I still think, you know, long-term, I mean, it's, it's, it's just tough. I mean, I think Bregman is, such a good hitter. I mean, I just, he's, he's, I still think he's a very tough out and, you know, he's powerful. He uses all fields and, you know, it's compact. It's just, uh, I think it's a special bat and, and the instincts and the make, I mean, the whole deal. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can pick one. Those can I avoid both, the question? No, those guys are both <laughs> studs, but if I'm hearing you, I think you're picking Bregman. I think that's fair. I think I would go the same direction. I do think there's a little bit more of a chance that Bregman sticks at shortstop. I think they're both going to be dynamic. Yeah. I think those are both big leaguers. I think there are just two pieces of evidence. Next year's draft class, I think, is a lot of evidence that college baseball's the, the talent level with a little a little ebb in the last uh, couple of years. I think it's flowing back in the right direction. Yeah. I think the underclass, there's a lot of uh, potential yeah. big-time talent, and it's great for college baseball. College baseball. And, and I wonder. We both think I it's wonder... fun. It's going to get better, even more fun the next couple of years. And I wonder if that's because teams were particularly aggressive, you know, knowing that the new CBA w- was was un- in the works. Yeah, I wonder if teams were particularly aggressive signing players, you know, the last couple of years of the old CBA, and that's why the, the you know these last two years have been a little maybe down. Um, I, mean, I don't know. Possible. I'm just I'm throwing that out there as a possibility. And I, you know, I I, th- I thought with the, the new draft rules would be good for college base or the new CBA rules rather be good for for college baseball. And and you know, um, I. We'll see. I mean, the, the jury's still out, but I agree with you. It feels like the, 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 the two lower classes have more talent. Yep, I mean, the evidence is then that, that that's very possible. We also had another Twitter question from Bob Smith. You may, you may be familiar with Bob, at Bob Bruin Bear. Um, mm. He asked about the resurgent UCLA offense and all-star pitching staff. Do we think UCLA is maybe flying under the radar a little bit? And I know they're not under your radar because you're at a lot of UCLA games and you're in the Southland. Is, actually, is Laguna part of the Southland or not? I don't know what that term even means, so I I, I guess I'll have to abstain. I'm that still new Southern out here. Cal- I think that means Southern California, <laughs> but uh, uh, but but I think that's just a general term for the Los Angeles uh, greater area. Um, you know how I like my uh, my nicknames for areas: Metroplex, Chicagoland, Tri-State area, <laughs> the Unifor around uh, Hickory, North Carolina. So, uh, <laughs> well, <I> saw... <laughs> the Unifor is the best one. Ask ask uh, your boys catfish? from Bunker Hill. I think it does include Bunker Hill. And Catfish. Vincent Byron's, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, but UCLA resurgent offense hitting 255 as a team. I guess they had nowhere to go from but up. But I mean, yeah. how dangerous is UCLA, Aaron? I mean, uh, the the Pac-12. I guess the big news in the Pac-12. You can answer the UCLA part. Then the other big part of the Pac-12 equation is that it looks like a four bid league after Stanford getting swept this weekend uh, by the O-State right. Ballers. Yeah, and uh, I'll write about that in three strikes a little bit. I mean, I was on hand for. Um, what I thought was kind of the demise of the defending national champs this weekend. It was, this was must win to keep their season alive for me. And, you know, I think Andy Lopez, I was surprised actually talking to him afterwards, seemed kind of resigned to his fate. You know, I mean, he said, look, it's, it's like Bill Parcells used to say, at, at some point, you are who your record 
is. I mean, that's what you are. Um, so he knows that they're 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 done basically. I mean, he didn't say that, but you know, he knows. Um, so yeah, I think it is a four bid league. But um, UCLA is is. The, the amazing thing is this, John. They've gotten hot here, you know, in the second half, and um, you know they've been sweeping series, and they swept the series this weekend. And um, you look up, and they're still three games behind Oregon State. I mean, John, John Savage, John Savage was marveling at it in his office, like, "Are you kidding me? I mean, we're we're sixteen, what sixteen and seven in the league. We should be like a game out of first place here, you know, or right right in first place. I mean, he compared it to where they were last year at this time. The record is better now than it was last week. They were twelve and nine last. Year this time and they were and went wound up winning the league so i mean it's just uh what oregon and oregon state have done is amazing but um to, to answer the, the 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 question i mean you know the offense has gotten better it's it's the at bats are more competitive now i think i think they're just picking up confidence is the is the thing i mean they still aren't going to scare you on offense i mean look they're, they are hitting 255 they're they don't have a single 300 hit for this team it's you know, amazing i mean uh, their cleanup guy is Pat Valeka hitting 262 with five homers. He's been clean up all year long. He's a good player, but I mean, that's your cleanup guy, you know? Right. I mean, right. you know, Co- Cody Regis is a that senior guy that they, you know, they were counting on. He's he had two big years early in his career. Uh, he had a big weekend for him, which is a huge sign. Uh, he had four doubles, but coming into the weekend, he had three extra base hits all year. I mean, you know, it's it's this team is not close to the offensive team it was last year and I give so much credit to the coaching staff you know Savage and also Rex Peters and TJ Bruce those guys have done a really good job you know getting the most out of this group and kind of building their confidence up and um, you know they, they do battle I mean you know it's that's one thing um, we see from from UCLA it, it's it's you know with this with this particular team I'm, I'm not in love with the offensive personnel but they they battle you know they give you quality at bats now and and that's enough with their you know their, their their defense is outstanding. They field 980, and and their pitching is outstanding. It's so deep. I mean, Plutko and and Vandertig are just warriors um, who are so consistent Friday and Saturday. And of course, David Berg is an animal. I mean, he's just an animal. He comes in, you know, and, and with two guys on Saturday and in the eighth inning, one out, and it's like there's never a doubt he's going to get out of it. I mean, he's just he's just automatic. That's an All America season. I know there are other good closers out there. But this is an All-America season. When you've already pitched 35 of your team's 48 games, you're an All-American. <laughs> I mean, this guy's like Pat Vendit. I mean, he's, it's almost – that. Uh, I guess it's Venditti. But it's really that yeah. kind of – it's that kind of season. 60-7, to seven, strike out a walk. I know there are other good closers out there, but David Berg, I mean, just love that guy. I mean, what's, what's not to love? I mean, he does everything for UCLA. So I think it is – but I think you're, a great point you made is just how uh, – you know UCLA has been hot, and they're 17 and seven in a, in a solid league. Maybe it's the best Pac-12 year of all time, but it's a good league. Uh, and they're three games back of the O State ball as an Oregon State. Aaron, they just can't do anything wrong right now. And they, you talk about a death blow, pretty much a death blow for the Cardinal this weekend, was it not? Oh yeah, that's a killer. I mean, you know, this is a team that needed needed a hot finish to boost its RPI and save its season, and they've lost what five in a row now. Um, Ugh, I mean, you know, it's just that's it. You, you can forget about it at this point. I mean, they're they're the 26 and 20 overall. They're number 80 in the RPI. Um, they still have to play UCLA at the end of the year. I just, you know, th- they've gotten swept. They've gotten swept twice in the last three weeks with their season on the line. Forget it. This is not. They don't deserve to be in the discussion for that large bid now. They only are because they're Stanford. I think you're right, and I think the other part of this is, you know. 
we talked, and maybe this is premature, but we talked a couple weeks ago, Aaron, about uh, Jim Morris at uh, Miami and uh, mm-hmm. Augie Garrido. And, you know, Stanford uh, has been good. They're not at the Texas level. I don't think they're even at the Miami level in terms of their talent. But what, you know, what's your feel for this program right now? And this is a, this is a junior class that was very highly regarded. Yep. And then they get the bonus of Appel coming back as a senior. And this is a pretty disappointing year. I it's mean, this, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's any other way to put it, but Stanford feels like an underachieving program now more often than not. Last three years, last two years in particular, three years ago, they actually, you know, they made it super regional. They lost in Chapel Hill with a younger team. That team, you know, right. I mean, that was, that was a good year. But, but last, then, year then was, last year, they got the super regional and they got annihilated by the Seminoles. Did. I mean, it was embarrassing. And they were preseason number two last year. They had they had back-to-back classes that were number what number one and number two um, in, like in, in recruiting class rankings. You know, I mean, those were elite elite talent on on that team last year. And you know, the talent on this team is is pretty much elite. I mean, it's you know maybe just a little bit less than they had last year because they don't have you know Piscotty and DeKroger and some of those guys. But um, you know, it's just the, the yeah they've had some injuries. Um, you and know, and Wilson and Venegas are two two of the big big names on this team who are big disappointments, you know, I, I, and, and because of the injuries. So those injuries, and, and Wilson and Wilson has, since he's been healthy, he's, he's actually put together a nice year. I he's, mean, he's raking. You know, he's raking. He he's got five home runs. I mean, he's, uh, yeah. he, he, I know he's still, lost, you know, he's still going to swing and miss some, but it's like, he's been a little bit more patient. I mean, the numbers sound good and our scouting reports on him sound good for this year's draft. So to me, it's amazing. Stanford gets all this flack for, it's draft prospects of what this guy's doing, pro ball, yada, yada. You know, I get it. I, I think it's a little bit misguided. To me, the bigger thing is they're not winning like they're supposed to win. And like you would expect them to win with the yeah. talent on hand. And, I, I, you know, I don't know, Aaron. Uh, I just wonder about kind of what's I, – I wonder about what's going on there. There, there have been several players there who aren't getting better, that, like you thought you'd get better. And a guy like Dominic Jose who flashed it last year – Coppola, who just isn't, he hasn't come back well from the knee injury, and the great Blandino. I mean, Alex Blandino yeah. just had a. Oh, it's not like he's swinging and missing a ton. He's just not making consistent hard contact, and uh, you just kind of wonder. There's just been a, a spate of guys who, uh, not only they're not getting better, but the team's not getting better. It's, it's it's just stunning to me where my entree into college baseball was the peak of Stanford's powers. You know, not not the Jim's was too, Callis's was, but for me it was. That 98 to 2004 stretch where when I was a beat writer, they went to Omaha five years in a row, and one of the years they didn't, they won. They were number one for 14 straight weeks. I mean, yeah. to me, Stanford equaled college baseball excellence, consistency, and they were tremendous team year in and year out, and they produced big leaguers by the bushel full. That's just not the case anymore. They're just not that – they're not that program anymore. Since, since I've been uh, on the beat, John, since 2005 – have they been to Omaha twice or just once? I think it's once. Uh, it was the Jeremy Jeremy Bleich year. Yeah, it was that was it. Two thousand. I think that's it. That's I it. Think of that is the Eric Davis year. So. Eric Davis year. That is a more accurate description. Uh, but but yeah. But I mean that's it. And that's it. I mean Jason Castro, and they still have a lot of big leaguers. They produce you know big league players, but they're they're not winning at the consistent level they used to. And Hey, we do know it's more difficult as you've, ta- as you've talked about for private schools these days. That's why mm-hmm. what, that's what makes what Vanderbilt's doing so remarkable because Vanderbilt's turned that on its head. They're the deepest program in the country. Yeah. But um, 
I, I just think it's stunning that Stanford – I think kudos to Oregon State for their dominance, 12 wins in a row, 41-8 and eight overall. I mean, it's, a, it's really – except for their blip, the one week where they – well, they lost two series. But this team could easily be number one on our rankings as well, couldn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's, you know, the the thing that's that's really impressive about them, there's so many things. I, I think they're really impressive. I think they're a great team. But, I mean, the starting pitching now, this is, what, 18 straight quality starts for the weekend starters in Pac-12 play? That's I mean, good, good grief. You know, now that now that you got Wetzler back to full health, I mean, you're not going to find a lot of Sunday guys better than Ben Wetzler. I and mean, that guy's good. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, they're, they're able to kind of protect Andrew Moore. I mean, he's, he's such a, he's a really good freshman. You know, I mean, we've had some great freshman pitchers right now um, with, with Eshelman and, and Garza down in Fullerton and Andrew yeah. Moore. Um, you know, he's, he's, He's had a very nice year, but they've got the bullpen that I think they can, you know, if, again, I always look for that, that freshman wall. He hadn't hit it, uh, and, and they can predict, you know, they can shorten games with their bullpen. And, and, of course, Matt Boyd has been outstanding this year. I mean, talk about a guy that's quietly put together, you know, a real All-America season. I mean, yep. he's, he's been very, very good on Fridays, and that's a guy who's a reliever his first three years of his career. We always thought he could start because he had that – good four pitch mix um you know and he's physical and durable and i'd always like to make a good starter and, and you know i've always heard scouts speculate that and, and he, he does he's a good starter and then just the depth of their arms is just so impressive and uh, and they're doing all this without fry you know yeah i mean they're yeah. just doing all this without uh it, it hasn't really gone according to plan but they're also an offensive club i mean it's not a great offensive club but by pac-12 standards they're certainly more offensive than ucla is yeah. And pitching wise, while they don't have the brand names, maybe of Vanderteig and uh, and Plutko, uh, those are the, like you said because Boyd hasn't done it for three years in the Pac-12, and they have a freshman and more. They just they just don't have a weakness either. They're just they're yeah. it really feels like they're you know Vandy, LSU, North Carolina, Fullerton. Um, I think you have to put NC State in the great team category because of what how hot they've been since they got Turner back. Um, and Oregon State, these teams feel like great teams. Yeah. I, I, it will be an upset to me if any of those teams didn't get to Omaha. I guess I don't quite feel the same for about UVA. Uh, maybe I should. Uh, they swept Duke this weekend. It would feel like it wouldn't be a shock if Virginia got to didn't get to Omaha this year. But maybe I, I'm I uh, you know, I agree with that, and and I love Virginia offensively. I think out of all these teams that we're talking about, I put them in the same category with you know North Carolina and uh, LSU Vanderbilt offensively. Um, but you know, I still don't really trust their starting pitching to the same degree as these other teams. Um, you know, I, I harbor that reservation with Virginia. Um, you know, but uh, it, Florida State is interesting too. I mean, I, I really like their starting pitching. That's a that's a rock solid top three with Weaver, Lee Brandt, and and Scott Seitz. Um, and, and their bullpen is is very good. I mean, I, that's it's a it's much different Florida State team than we're used to seeing. It's it's a pitching dominated team, um, and you know. There, if you know guys like Marcus Davis and um, you know uh, Stewart, I mean these guys can continue to continue to perform like they did yesterday. Um, then you know they're 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 dangerous and they're dangerous anyway. But um, I, I I wouldn't quite agree with you. I wouldn't quite put them in that elite top six group just because it feels like they're not quite as as good. Uh, but they're not far off. I mean certainly a team that I would not be surprised to get in, to see in Omaha. Great point, Aaron. Uh, one thing you mentioned about Virginia—it's kind of amazing. They have almost—they have eight more strikeouts than walks all year. And correct me if I'm wrong—isn't Mike Poppy leading the nation in OPS? I think he leads the I mean, whole yeah, country he might in be. OPS. I think it's last like a, time I checked, he was. 
You know, I, he might have been passed by your main man, uh, Chris Bryant, this weekend because uh, <laughs> I think Poppy leads the country in on base at 50, 50, 543 on base. But uh, once Bryant's slugging percentage went close to 900, I think he's passed Mike Poppy in OPS. But, I mean, they just that's how you have the kind of year that Virginia's having. You have some guys you weren't yeah. expecting break through and have some really big years. So they were expecting big things out of Jared King and, and Nate Irvin and some of their returning regulars. And those guys have been solid but not spectacular, but guys like Cogswell and Poppy have made these big steps forward. And, you know, maybe I, maybe I should give Virginia a little bit more respect, but the, it does feel like their pitching is more good than great. And there's not a, yeah. a, a shutdown guy over there. Uh, it's a baseball America podcast on the college side with John and Aaron, Aaron rivalry weekends were a lot of rivalry series or as Ray Tanner would say, series uh, in college <laughs> baseball. This that gets year. me every time. That gets me every time. I love, I love coach Tanner. I, I, I you know, I'm going to miss hearing that in Omaha, that, Absolutely. that series. Absolutely. Uh, we love the series references from uh, from uh, Ray Tanner. But uh, one of the big ones was Kansas-Kansas State. We had two big ones in the Big 12 specifically. Kansas-Kansas State, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. And, Aaron, neither of these went the way that the, you maybe we would have thought going in. I guess Kansas State we thought could win that series. But to go to Kansas and sweep that series mm-hmm. – uh, vaulted uh, Kansas State into our top 25 rankings at number 19. And K-State now, Aaron, not just in first place in the Big 12, but if they can keep this up the rest of the year, K-State is a regional host. I believe it would be the first time for yeah. Kansas State ever to be a regional host. Do, do you see that happening? It's very possible. Yeah, they're certain. I mean, they're 20, what, 22, I think, in the RPI right now. Uh, first place in the Big 12. Yes, I think if they if they win the Big 12, um, you know, certainly if they t- if they win this series against Oklahoma this weekend, I think they host. And it is at home, and Oklahoma is scuffling a little bit. I mean, barely holding on to the back of our top twenty-five. And and you know, I don't I don't think either of us felt great about having them ranked um, because they're eight and ten in their last eighteen games. I mean, you know, Gray and Overton aren't dominating the way they were. And I know Overton had been hurt, but he returned Sunday and threw four innings and just kind of, eh. you know, I mean, that team to me um, is very reliant upon those two players and they need those guys to kind of carry them for them to make a deep run. So that's, you know, they're looking vulnerable right now and K-State can score runs. And, you know, uh, I, I, that, co- that coaching staff does such a great job. I, I feel like every year, whether they're, you know, a great team or a middle of the pack team, they get the most out of their players. They grind, right. you know, they're like one of those programs that, that they, they, you know, they wear you down and, and, uh, in this case, I think they've had their pitching staff is nothing special. And in fact, it's been it continues to be a big area of concern because uh, some of the guys they were really counting on. I mean, Matt, Matt Wiven is on, on Saturday, one of those guys they need to be good for them. And he, he hasn't been and he didn't get out of the third inning again this week. But, you know, they, they shuffled the pitching. They got some freshmen in there. You know, Levi Mavorhis, um, Great man. Has, has three, three straight weeks now. He's been good on Fridays. He's keeping him in the game. And, you know, I don't I think maybe they thought he was just kind of a short term fix there. Um, but he's become kind of their, their guy. I mean, he's you know, he's not going to give you eight innings, but he, he gives them a chance to win. Their bullpen is good and they score a lot of runs. I mean, they're a good offensive team. They're, they're solid on defense. Um, give them credit. I mean, they uh, they are a legit hosting candidate. And I mean, I, I don't. I still don't love their team because I, I just don't trust the pitching. But, um, you know, these teams that can score a bunch of runs can be dangerous if they're hot at the right time. And, and Kansas State is hot at the right time. And we uh, talked in the Google Hangout a couple, maybe it was last week, about Coach of the Year candidates, Brad Hill. <laughs> we, we, left yeah. them out of, we left them out of that. But again, from a program building standpoint, 
and the standpoint of a, a, a coach who, like you said, just consistently gets the most out of his players. He has to be on the short list of best coaches in the country just from a consistent grinding it out. And they're in Manhattan, Kansas. They're not getting the first run of top prospects out there. They're not getting the second run. This is a guy who uh, they, they made three straight regional trips from 09 to 11. It's a guy who won a Division II national championship at Central Missouri. He just really knows what he's doing, man. I mean, he just knows what he's doing. Like you said, they're, they yeah. are grinders. So so kudos to Kansas State. Aaron, another coach we think he knows what he's doing is Josh Holiday. Yeah. Uh, long track record. I mean, this guy, we said it when he got hired. He was a really good college baseball player who was on a College World Series team at Oklahoma State in a baseball family with a head coach for his dad who coached him and now was an assistant coach at NC State and Tom Holiday, a big league brother who mashes and Matt Holiday that if you ever need to have that phone call to close things out for you, how about if a big leaguer like Matt Holiday gives you that phone call? Um, so a hell of a recruiter in Josh Holiday who the you and I both would put on the short list of best talent evaluators in college yes. baseball, especially when you throw in the fact that his uncle uh, – is a cross-checker, has been a long-time scout for the Rockies organization. So this guy just was bred to be a great college baseball coach. And he's off to a good start at Oklahoma State. Not a great year for the Cowboys, but a good year and trending in the right direction. And they get a big series win this weekend in the Bedlam Series. Kudos to the fans out in Oklahoma, uh, both in Tulsa and in Oklahoma City, with the, the, the fan support they had for the Bedlam Series. But it feels like, Aaron, Oklahoma State's trending in the right direction. And if they can... Uh, with that series against West by God, Virginia next weekend, this should be a regional team. <laughs> You're a yeah. sucker for some of my stupid jokes. I love it. I don't even get that one. I just, I'm amused that you say it every time you reference West Virginia. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what it means, but I like it. Um, it's fun to say o- for sure. Oh yeah. Oklahoma state is now up to 35 in the RPI. I mean, they're, they're in good shape for that large bid and they're, you know, they're still only 11 and nine in the league somehow. And they've, you know, they've right. had four straight winning weekends and it seems weird. You'd think they'd have a better conference record. Um, but you know, they're, they're, Hey, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, I think you have to give that coaching staff a lot of credit, um, because it's an all-star team, staff. I mean, it's an all-star, it's an staff. all-star st- I mean, that's, you know, come on, Marty Lees and Rob Walton is your assistants. Those guys are you know, Rob Walton has already been a hugely successful um, head coach. And, and, you know, Marty Lees is he's one of the next guys on the list. I mean, you don't need a head coach. That's one of the guys people are going to look at. So um, that's a really good staff. But, you know, and Josh Holiday was the number one guy on our even, you know, the, the before he'd ever coached a year as a head coach. He was number one guy on our, our top head coaches under 40 list that came out in January. So, you know, that just shows you how highly he's he's regarded. But, um, yeah, they, this I give these guys credit. They're not a very deep team, and, and they have to scrap a little bit, but they do have some talent. You know, obviously, Jason Hirsch is a, is a really good talent, and he came up huge for them on Friday. And, um, you know, Tyler Nurden pitched well on Saturday. He's, he's had a nice little year. It's a pretty decent one-two punch there. That's um, a great name. And, I mean, Tyler Nurden, come on. I mean, it's uh, a tough name. I mean, Tyler Durden, Tyler Nurden. I mean, that's, I know it. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a lot to live up to. And it, w- it wasn't anything to live up to until about 10 years ago, and all of a sudden, you know, people are people are going to come up to and say, you know, the first thing to make soap is you have to rent fat. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's tough to live up to, man. You're right. You're right. It's a great point. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry I got you off. I got you. I went off on a bad tangent there. But but like you said, this is not. A we team. were all f-ing, John. Let's be honest. That's true. That's true. This has been a rollicking podcast. I hope people have enjoyed it. But uh, but this has been a team that, like you said, I mean they they got off to a little bit of a slow start, but it just feels like Oklahoma State is in. If they yeah. win next week and this is a regional team, is Oklahoma 
trending so poorly. I mean, they're 5-10 and 10 in their last 18 games with three wins against New Orleans that I don't count. So, I mean, uh, what, what's the what's the prognosis for – is it prognosis negative for Oklahoma, or can they still – I mean, that's a pretty big series next weekend for them in K-State. Yeah, it is. They're 46 in the RPI. I mean, that's bubblicious right there. It is. Uh, you know, and, and this is a team – let's see if they – uh, they got four games left. They win two of them. They finish in the top 45. And, you know, top 45 isn't a slam dunk. And that just, you know, that helps you. Um, but, you know, if they're, they're well, they're second place in the league right now. So I guess if they finish, let's say they, they, they finish second place in the league with an RPI, you know, in the 40s, I mean, it would help them to, to win a couple of games in the, the conference tournament. But um, I, I think they get in. Um, but they're not a slam dunk right now. You know, this is a team with negative momentum. And... You know, the body of work is kind of, yeah. It's iffy. It's iffy. I mean, they're 11 and 10 against the top 100, um, you know, and against the top 50, it's only two and three. So it's not like they've got a lot of quality wins to hang their hats on here. Uh, I'm not blown away by this body of work. I mean, I'm just looking outside the league. And it's just not, there's nothing that you, like you said, there's nothing you could hang your hat on. I mean, they beat New Mexico one game. You know, that's, that's, that's their best non-conference win, is it not? I mean, I mean uh, Pepperdine. Yeah. I mean, like again, Pepperdine. I said in the meeting today, Seton Hall swept Pepperdine at Pepperdine when they were struggling, yep. and you yep. know Oklahoma played Pepperdine at home and you know went to a. So if if those two teams are in front of the committee, just as a hypothetical, oh, if Seton boy. Hall's in front of the committee with their resume, <laughs> and Oklahoma isn't Seton Hall have the better non uh, the better at large resume? No doubt. I mean, they're they're higher in the RPI in the Big East. Um, they're hotter. You know, they just swept a great series against South Florida. They're, you know, they're they're yes, thirty three. They're thirty three and seven since starting off zero and nine. Yes, and, and you know the committee likes teams. Uh, they, they reward teams that win on the road, and and Seton Hall has done that. You know, they've they've gone on the road a lot because they have to. Um, you know, they're 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 eighteen and thirteen on the road, John. There's not a lot of teams that have you know more road wins than that. Um, you know, you're talking about. Oregon and Cal State Fullerton, uh, those are the only other teams, you know, in, in the top 50 in the RPI that have more road wins. So right. um, that's loud, you know, and, and, and they won a series at Houston. Let's not forget, it's a nice series win. That's better than anything on Oklahoma's resume, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. I think so. Houston's not great, but, I mean, that's, you know, what's Oklahoma done? Absolutely. And I'll tell you that we're on the Big East uh, we tangent just for a second because we're talking about uh, – I brought up Seton Hall. Stick a fork in Notre Dame, Fitzy, RPI or not. Stick a fork in the Fighting Irish. What happened? How did this team? How are they under 500 in the Big East? I don't understand it. I don't either. I mean, you look at their talent. Uh, that's a disappointing year. You know, it's a team that we had in the, in the top 25 for a while, and you know they won that quality series at Cal Poly early in the year. Kind of uses a little bit of a springboard, um, but in conference play, they've really disappointed here. You know, they had that rough stretch um, back in early April, where they starting with the end of the Villanova series, when then they got swept by Pitt. They lost two games to Michigan in that stretch. Um, you know, and and that was what a six-game losing streak, and now they're they're cold again. I mean, the last two weeks here, they lose a series. Yeah. At St. John this St. John's this weekend. They needed they needed to win both these series to close. And you know, that's it. They're they're not an at-large team. They're not. I mean, I know they have a good RPI, but I just don't see they're, how you could take them with that They're resume. not scoring runs. They're not scoring runs, and that's why I I thought they'd be a very physical offense, a team that, you know, would, would be imposing in conference play, you know, with Mancini and um, you know, Jagailo in the middle, of course. And Absolutely. You know, Frank DeSico at the top. And they got some nice older players and they're underachieving. It's disappointing. 
It really is. I still think the Big East is a three-bid league because I think that Seton Hall, Pittsburgh, and uh, obviously Louisville uh, look like teams that should get in even if they aren't, even if they don't win the conference tournament. But Pittsburgh's on a little bit shaky ground there, aren't they? 65 in the RPI, you know, and, and they're a team that I think deserves to get in when you look at their body of work. Um, let's see what happens against Louisville this weekend. But, I mean, they swept five straight series. They're leading that conference, and it's a strong year for that conference. Um, you know, uh, I'd like to see them get in, but they need, to, they need to finish strong to get the RPI up to where it needs to be. They really do. 40-11, it's hard to believe that 40-11 has that low of an RPI, but I think that just tells you a little bit of the cal- caliber of opponent uh, competition for Pittsburgh has been low. So big series for them this weekend. They're playing Louisville, correct? They are at Louisville. That's huge. huge. Series. I mean, you win that series, you're in if you're Pitt. Uh, Louisville, I think you win it and you host a regional. So there's a lot on the line in that in that series. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, we, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, rivalry series. Let's wrap up with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. feels like we've talked an awful lot about the Magnolia State. And I'm actually, yeah. Aaron, I'm going to spring this on you. I'm thinking about it. i got a story idea in my head. I'm going to try to execute this issue. I'm just baseball in the state of Mississippi. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. I'm ranty today. It's. I'm all over the place. So I'm making you <laughs> deal with it. So help corral me in here, Fitzy. But you got last year. You had Billy Hamilton set a record for minor league stolen bases. And Billy Hamilton. People ask like, how was this guy? Whatever round pick he was, because it wasn't a first rounder. And the answer is Mississippi high school baseball track record. And last guy drafted out of high school in Mississippi who's really had a significant big league career is Charlie Hayes. That's my uh, that's a horrible Harry Cal- that's a horrible Harry Callis impersonation. But if you remember him playing for the Philadelphia Phillies, he would have said Charlie Hayes at third for the Phillies. That's that's horrible. I'll stop. But uh, but Charlie Hayes was drafted and he was drafted 30 years ago. He was drafted in 1983. So that's how a guy like Hunter Renfro, with Hunter Renfro's tools. And you talk about Chris Bryant. You comped him a little bit to uh, to Bryce Harper. You remember, I used to say that Hunter Renfro was the Mississippi high school version of, of Bryce Harper, but he was right-handed because he was catching and erratic but had huge arm strength and big raw power. Um, so that's why Hunter Renfro is a 31st-round pick because you can't get any sense of the caliber of competition with Mississippi high schools, with very rare exceptions, um, where there's some of these pockets, Pascagoula, Gulf, Gulfport, the Pearl, uh, I guess Pearl River is the name of the high school. There's some pockets, these juggernaut programs that win every year. And Aaron, I think it affects us, and I think it's all scouts trying to evaluate talent. I think it affects us, even when you look at Southern Miss and that and that recruiting class that was a number three ranked recruiting class. Mm. I think those some of those players are a little overestimated. Connor Barron, some of these guys, because it's such a stratified state, you know, in Mississippi. I think you have to dig a little bit on the sociological aspects, but talking to scouts, talking to coaches over the years, it's very difficult to get a a read on high school competition in the state of Mississippi. And it's a fascinating draft year in the state of Mississippi because the guy who's supposed to be the dude coming into the year is Bobby Wall. He's had a good year. He's competed. He's been really just – he has had so many, um, to to quote, oh, brother, where art thou, obstacles thrown in his path. Um, from, from the blister to this weekend where he starts, pitches an inning, they get rained out, he comes back in the next game. You know, everything, a lot of things have worked against Bobby Wall, and I really respect his toughness and his grit that he's shown this year because he really had a great year for Ole Miss, even without his best stuff. But in general, that's a, I think of it as a great baseball state because of the fans on the college side and on the high school side 
uh, uh, in that state. They turn out at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, yeah. like nowhere, no, like no place else. And there's talent and all kinds of athleticism in that state. And it's not, and I say athleticism, I'm, I'm not meaning code because I think Hunter Renfro, who's a white guy, is one of the most athletic players in this draft. So I'm not yeah. talking about white, black. I'm just saying there's athletic ability in the state of Mississippi. But then you have Tim Anderson, who's an Alabama kid uh, out of Tuscaloosa, now at East River or East Central Junior College. You got Caleb Reed, a left-hander. I forget what JC is at. These two JC players are going to go in the first two, three rounds. Mm. And neither one was even drafted last year. You got uh, Salento Sales, the high school kid out of Mississippi, who's stolen more than 100 bases this year against, against, against awful competition. That's insane, I mean, though. Aaron, I think he's 103 for 104 stealing. you got to be kidding me. It was in Faces in the Crowd in Sports Illustrated. Look it up. I just th- talked to a scout about him last week. He said, I could steal bases in that league. And I told him, you don't know how slow I really am, dude. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but, it, but he said that it is uh, the caliber of competition is so low. So I think there's a bigger story here about baseball in the state of Mississippi. But both these teams, Mississippi and Mississippi State, have to deal with this. And that's why a guy like Hunter Renfro can come in with all the talent he had and not be really ready to play in the SEC as a freshman. And I just think it makes it, it – it's just a fascinate, it fascinates me, obviously, the Magnolia State. And both these teams, Aaron, to me, this year, to bring it back on this podcast, feels mm-hmm. like they are both a little underachieving. I don't really know how good either of these teams are. and I don't even think they know, either of these coaches, staff, coaching staffs, know how good these teams really are. How good do you think Ole Miss and Mississippi State are? Or are they, as Andy Lopez says, what their record says they are? Good teams, but not yeah. up to nothing special. That's you know that's probably a pretty good assessment, and that was a, a heck of a of a, an excellent tangent. By the way, I give you credit. I, I enjoyed that. It was really good. Uh, you made some great points, but you know, um, they're they're middle of the pack SEC teams, and a middle of the pack SEC team is good enough to get hot and get to Omaha. You've seen we that. Saw in, it last in Arkansas. There you go. There you go. And and you know these teams are good enough to do that as well. Um, I. You know, I think Bobby Wall and Mike Myers can take you a long way in the postseason. And Sam Smith um, is, has been solid now on Sundays. And, you know, I, I still like their athleticism. I like, you know, I mean, they've got holes. They've got flaws. Mississippi State has flaws. I mean, the starting pitching for Mississippi State, Jacob Lindgren not getting it done right now. It's a guy that we thought they'd really be counting on. Yep. They, they're they still looking for answers in week 14 um, in the rotation. So, but if they figure it out, you know, watch out because I still love the depth and talent. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm backing off. I'm backing off a little bit of Mississippi State, take it to the bank to Omaha, but I'm not going to be surprised if they're there. I, I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm impressed that you backed off because I think it was, I think it was time to back off a couple of weeks ago, but I think it, I know. That's <laughs> okay. I think it's smart for you to back off. Pretty much a must win situation for Ole Miss this weekend. And even with yep. Wall not at his best, and things kind of stacked up against him. That said, I got to think Ole Miss is thinking they missed an opportunity this weekend because they're winning 6 nothing in the Sunday game, and they could not get the sweep. I just thought that was a very – I hate to say that that was a very Ole Miss thing to do. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting. I mean, you look at some of the teams that were in similar positions. I mean, Oklahoma State had a 4 nothing lead on Sunday. North Carolina was up six runs on Sunday. Um, there were – there were some teams that uh, that rallied. Uh, You're on right. Sunday. I should I should uh, I should I strike my previous comment because a, a lot of teams did that this week, and it wasn't just an Ole Miss thing to do. You're right. Good point. So I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think those are two compelling teams. Um, you know, and and 
I think you know I think we got a pretty good handle on them. I mean, they're middle of the pack SEC teams that could be dangerous if they're hot at the right time. But um, you know they're not gonna they're not gonna blow you away at this point in the season. You look at their bodies of work because they've been inconsistent, both of them. I mean Mississippi State now, John. I mean they're still ten in the RPI, and you know we'll probably get all kinds of people. How can you drop them so low? I don't know. But I mean they lost six you know, series. They lost six series, and what have they what have they done that's impressive? I mean they they've won a series against Alabama and a series against Florida. Those are the only two series wins they have against potential regional teams, and those teams are both bubble dwellers, frankly. What they've done that's impressive is they've played a really strong schedule. Yeah. And they've they've held their own against that schedule, but they have not dominated that schedule. And they, every they've week, lost all the good teams. They've I lost know. all the really good teams they've played. And week after week, you look at Central Arkansas, and you're like, you know, Central Arkansas is a 500 team in the Southland. It's a one-bid league. They're in seventh place in that league. I mean, that, your record says who you are. That's who they are. So that was a pretty bad series loss. Six series losses is... Six series losses, Aaron. Uh, two things I want to bring up with you, and then we'll go. Um, the Big South. Campbell, Aaron, has clinched the number one seed in the Big South, I believe. How about Nin- that? 19-5 and five in the league. 43-9 and nine overall. So mm. the Campbells are going to be uh, – that, that, they are – did you put you put them in last week as an at-large team, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yep. Campbell. Cam- that's just How crazy. About How about it? Campbell. That's amazing. You know, and it's, it's- – it's only one game against the top 50, too. It's 0-1 against the top 50, and and they're still, you know, I mean, they're still in good shape in the RPI because they just keep winning. They're beating everybody. They're like 43-9. and nine. I mean, that's amazing. They're 29 in the RPI um, with, with, with just 10 games against the top 100. They've got 15 games against teams outside the top 200. Somehow they're ahead of Arkansas in the RPI. Go figure. I, I mean, I don't – some things with the RPI I just don't get. That's one of them. And last but not least, Aaron, the Atlantic Sun. I know you like th- these teams – how many bids you see coming out of the Atlantic Sun between Mercer, North Florida, and Florida Gulf Coast? Or is that to I, be determined? It is to be determined. Um, you know, I, I think Mercer, you know, is in as an at-large team if they don't win the automatic bid. And if they do win the automatic bid, I think it's probably a one-bid league now. I think North Florida needed to win that series this weekend against Gulf Coast, and they did not. Um, I think, you know, Gulf Coast and, and North Florida are in the same boat right now. They're both, you know, 60, 63 in the RPI. Um I don't know. I don't see them getting that thing high enough. It's possible. You know, they both have played decent schedules. They've got some non-conference games here and there that are are okay. I mean, they're, I guess we'll see what happens. But I kind of feel like, you know, if one of those teams wins the conference tournament, you get a two-bid league. Otherwise, it's probably one. That's how it feels. Just want to make sure. I, I just didn't. Uh, it's been. It feels like it's been a good year in that league, but not a great year. So. Yeah. Um, Aaron, great stuff. Really enjoyed talking with you today on the podcast. I mean, just uh I'll college baseball, the draft, all the stuff, just all the synapses are firing. It's a very fun, very fun time yeah. of year. Love talking, uh, love talking baseball with you and with all of you listening. And we want to remind everyone this season's podcast is sponsored by Project Lomo. We really want to thank those guys for sponsoring the podcast. It's at projectlomo.mlblogs.com. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America College podcast. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.